2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll look at four verses there very quickly. How sweet to die, we just sang. Brother, thank you for reading that passage. It is a favorite of many of us. And you read it with conviction and love. Amen. We're thankful for those words. That our blessed God chose and first loved us. And that's the only reason we would ever love Him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verses 8 through 11. One long sentence of our brother Paul. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Amen and amen. We are for the most part, as far as I know, Gentiles. And so we should be thankful for our brother Paul, who was appointed by God, called to be an apostle and a preacher and a teacher of us Gentiles. And his word has made its way to us in writing. Paul needed to encourage Timothy because these men suffered for preaching the gospel. Their lives were in jeopardy. Their assets and family, their houses, their friends were in jeopardy. Timothy was a young man. It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy appears to may have, maybe have been a gentle and timid man. Because it tells us right here in this chapter, verse 4, that Paul was mindful of his tears. But Paul wanted to encourage him because these are the last words Paul wrote. Paul's going to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am now ready to be offered. My time has come. And he was leaving the gospel in the hands of Timothy in a certain part of the world and he needed to stir him up. Not to be afraid of the persecution that was coming and the threats that were made against the preachers of the gospel but to be a partaker of the same afflictions that Paul endured in his life. And so that's why we have this long sentence. Paul is writing a ministerial letter to Timothy, his favorite ministerial understudy, whom he said, there's no other man I have like him. He's like a father with the, like a son with the father in a business. He, he has a care for the souls of the churches, Above all other men. But he needs to encourage him here to put up with some persecution. And so he says in verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. But be a partaker of the afflictions. Get into it and suffer right along with me. Because we've been appointed to be preachers of this glorious gospel. And let's look at what that gospel says. Now this is not verses 9 and 10. We're not put here because Timothy needed to be taught these things. 
He needed to be reminded of these things so that he would be a more faithful minister. And we need to be reminded of these things from time to time so that we'll be more faithful Christians. The first argument he makes in verse 9 is, look what God has done for you. Since God has done all that for you, Timothy, including setting His purpose on you from before the world began, how should you be serving Him? And then verse 10, the message that you carry is the most wonderful, incredible message the world has ever heard. You carry the news of immortality. It's the fantasy of philosophers for 6,000 years to live forever. The Gospel brings it. That's why we're in here. To be reminded that we have a message sent down from heaven that God has purposed immortality for us from before the world began. And it's brought to light. It's explained and taught by the Gospel. And we lay hold of it by believing the Gospel. And we raise our assurance of it by obeying the Gospel. I thank God for showing me this text 30 years ago and correcting a few misconceptions about salvation so that I love these words. The Lord impressed this text upon me a few weeks ago as our brother Keith waited for the death of his mother. Because Jesus hath abolished death. And it was impressed upon me again yesterday morning with that early morning, with those early morning calls that a father had died in Pennsylvania leaving a widow and three little girls and a son. Jesus hath abolished death. That's the main point I want to take from these two verses, but we want to look at each phrase. Verses 9 and 10. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but you be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel because look what the power of God is able to do for you and what it's already done for you. And so we start in verse 9. Who hath saved us? God hath saved us. Salvation is a finished work. I preached to you a few weeks ago from John 19 and 30. It is finished. There was a work of redemption finished. Jesus had said earlier in His ministry, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And He said, it is finished. The salvation designed and planned and purposed by God before the world began and given to us in Christ Jesus, was paid for. The legal price had been paid. It was certain. The book of life now was the book of life of the Lamb slain. The book of life of those Lamb slain that put it into force so that Jesus could ascend up into heaven and in Revelation chapter 5 approach the throne of God who's holding the book of the everlasting covenant, including our names, in his hand. Remember, John's weeping in that scene because there was no man found in heaven or in earth that could open that book until the lion of the tribe of Judah arrived. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended up out of the sight of the apostles into heaven 
And John's weeping, but an elder came over and told him, Weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And the Lord Jesus Christ took that book and opened it. And as soon as he took that book, the angels burst into sing. I hope you all love Revelation 5. I'm a little bit off my point here, but do you love Revelation 5? The angels burst into singing. Then the redeemed burst into singing. And then the four beasts burst into singing. And then the four beasts said, Amen. So when you listen to Handel's Messiah and you get to the end and you wonder why there's a five-minute amen to the thing, it's worthy of a five-minute amen. Remember, the last words of the Messiah are worthy as the Lamb that was slain right out of Revelation 5. And the four beasts that God created for His praise perpetually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they said, Amen. And we ought to be saying Amen in our hearts. Who hath saved us? Salvation is a finished work. We can't spend much time on each of these phrases because we've got to get down there to verse 10. And we have other things to do today. But I hope that we can appreciate and be reminded of all that God has done for us. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. There are several callings in our salvation. There is the calling that is the appointment of God to our vocation or our position or office or role before Him. There is the calling of God when He calls us into life when we're born again. And there is the calling of the gospel that calls us to believe and obey. This calling right here, because it's described as God's purpose and grace before the world began, we understand to be the first one that we were appointed to eternal life. The Lord hath not appointed you to, the Lord hath appointed you to obtain salvation. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. The best way to understand the word calling in the Bible, it's not always, it's not a telephone, and it's not asking. It's an appointment. Paul said, I was called to be an apostle. Paul said, I was appointed to be an apostle. Paul said, I was ordained to be an apostle. The calling of God is summoning you, ordering you, ordaining you, appointing you to an office and a role. And our office is to be the sons of God. And we were appointed to that before the world began. He hath called us with a holy calling to be the holy sons of God, as we had read to us from Ephesians chapter 1, who hath saved us and hath called us with an holy calling. Our calling is to be the holy sons of God forever in heaven with our Father. And God has done all the work for that. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. The the subject of the call of God is a whole subject in itself. You would want to look up the word call, called, and calling, and the word vocation. Because we have a vocation. And it doesn't mean what you do for a living Monday through Friday. Our vocation is a son of God. And we are to walk worthy of our vocation and our calling. We're to walk worthy, looking like a son of God in this world. Timothy, don't you be ashamed of our Lord. How in the world can we be ashamed of our Father in heaven who's adopted us out of this cesspool of humanity and made us His children? Praise the God of heaven. We should be willing to give Him anything and everything every day of our lives. Timothy, don't you be afraid. Don't you be ashamed. But you stir yourself up because God hath saved us and He's called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works. It is not based on anything in you, Timothy, that you did. It's entirely based on everything in Him. 
Therefore, because He's done it all for you, without seeing one good thing in you, you owe Him everything. That salvation that He's wrought for you is not because you earned it. You are His debtor because He gave it to you freely without your works being involved at all. The Bible tells us plainly that God did look down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. We believe in God's foreknowledge. We believe that God looked down upon men. He says that. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 58, verses 1 through 3. The same words are quoted twice in the Bible for our emphasis. The Lord from heaven looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. What did he find? Behold, they are all gone astray. They are all gone out of the way. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. It's not according to our works. It is unconditional grace given by God before the world began. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. According to His own purpose and grace. The purpose of man from the beginning, with the devil's influence on our first parents, the purpose of man was to choose what was pleasing to their eyes, pleasing to their flesh, and pleasing to their pride. The devil said to the woman, look at that tree. Doesn't it look good for food? Doesn't it look like it could make you wise? And she looked, and she said, yes, it does. And she ate. And our father Adam did not look at the tree. Our father Adam looked at his wife. Our father Adam wasn't deceived. He just said, God or Eve? I'll take Eve. But that's what the Bible tells us. He was not deceived. The woman was deceived, but the man was not deceived. He made a rebellious choice. And that's the choice we've made from the beginning. And if the truth be told, we make it every day. And if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin, we continue to make that choice. But thanks be to God, not according to our works, because if it was according to our works, we'd be damned forever. But according to His purpose and grace, He hath saved us, and He's called us with a holy calling. We had read to us Ephesians chapter 1 that said to the praise of the glory of His grace. And it's what He had purposed in Himself to do. It was Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will that is the basis for our salvation. It tells us there that not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The issue of eternal life is not accepting Jesus. It's whether God accepts us in Jesus. That is the issue. When we stand before God, will God accept us through Christ? And he said in Ephesians 1.6, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And who is the Beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's made us acceptable in Him because Jesus came and lived the perfect life for us, died the perfect death, and rose to heaven and intercedes for us every day. We are accepted in that Beloved. By the choice of God before the world began. Ephesians 1, 2 Timothy 1, 9. They're sister texts in the Word of God. That's why we had them read to us this morning. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us, which was given us, which was given us, 
It wasn't given to all. It was given to us. Chosen before of God in Christ Jesus. As Ephesians 1 said, and as it says here, some say it is not fair for God to save only some. But God saved none of the devil and his angels. And I never hear complaints about that. The devil sinned and his angels sinned with him. And God has reserved them in everlasting chains unto eternal torment. And they are greater in power and might and glory than anyone in this room. Why do you think it's not fair? If God were fair, we would all go to hell with the devil and his angels. God is better than fair. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's full of long-suffering. He is kind. He is gentle. And He has chose us in Christ before the world began to save us. If God were fair, we'd all be in hell. Thankfully, He's gracious. And so He chose us in Christ before the world began and purposed to save us by His grace and make us accepted in the Beloved. And do you know how painful it is to the devil to know that us little worms called men, you know, one of his angels can take out 185,000 in a night? Do you know how painful it is for the devil to know that God has saved us and not him or his cronies? The blessed God turned to the devil in Genesis chapter 3 and said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Hinted at from Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and destroyed the works of the devil. But I'm getting ahead of myself, because that's verse 10. Which was given us. Brethren, it was given us. You know, some say it's not fair that God would only save some. Why isn't it fair? We all made our choice. We made our choice in a perfect representative in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a perfect man. He was more intelligent than all of us combined. Adam was in a perfect world with a perfect wife and only one commandment to keep. I think that's an easier life than you have to live. He was intelligent in a perfect world with a perfect wife. No one else to, no, no television. No troubles at work. All he had to do was dress the garden, one commandment to keep. He had two trees. He could eat of the tree of life. And live forever. Can I? This is just an aside. When we get to heaven, you know what's growing in the midst of the paradise of God? The tree of life. You know what you're going to be eating? It ain't no apple. It's the tree of life. And we're going to love that tree. We're going to eat it. We're going to eat of it forever because we're going to live forever. We made our choice. Through our father Adam, this is what the Bible teaches. For as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death, so. Do you know what that little adverb means? In this precise way. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned in Adam. Romans 5, 12 through 19. We had a representative for us in the Garden of Eden, the, the, the finest man, the purest man that's ever lived on this planet, short of the Lord Jesus Christ, was Adam, and he sinned for us and condemned our race. We made our choice. God's fair. He said, what do you want, life or death? Did he tell us? Did he tell our first father, you eat this tree, you die. If you eat this tree, you live. Did he tell him? What tree did we choose? We chose it in Adam. We chose death. And all you have to do is look around for 6,000 years. Men have been dying left and right. They don't know where death came from. They don't know its cure. We know both. The cure is in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which was given us, which was given us, which was given us. Before the world began, God knew your name. He wrote it in the book of life. I grew up as a child singing a song, there's a new name written down in glory. But that is not a scriptural song. There are no new names written down in glory. The Bible says every name in the book of life was written there from before the foundation of the world. That's found in Revelation 13.8 and 17.8, which matches up with what we had read to us from Ephesians 1, that God has chosen us in Christ before the world began, and His purpose and grace right here was given to us before the world began when He wrote our names in the book of life. It was given to us by name. God knew you before there was a world. That's a, is that love? I was talking to my daughter this week about Deuteronomy chapter 7. You know, what a difference God made in the Old Testament. He loved Israel. He just, he just despised every other nation. Just annihilated them. He sent the Israelites into Canaan and just annihilated them. Kill every single one. Old man, young woman, ox, ass, every single thing they've got. I don't want one thing breathing. Annihilate it. If you don't do it, the land's going to spew them out. They're so wicked. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, I set my love upon you. This is God speaking to Israel. Some of Moses' last words. I set my love upon you, not because you were the greatest of all people, because you were actually the fewest, the smallest nation. I set my love upon you because I loved you. She and I had a few good moments of reflecting on, I set my love upon you because I loved you. There was nothing in Israel to bring forth that love. It was just a choice of God to love some. If he was fair, he would love none. He is gracious and he loves some. Romans chapter 9 puts it this way. This is also from Moses, but it's also quoted in Romans 9. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. There is nothing you can do to get a name in the book of life. They were put there before the world began. And God chose to love them. And that's why we have the words here, which was given us. Timothy, how in the world can you be ashamed of the Lord and ashamed of me, his prisoner, when God loved you like that before the world began and purposed to save you by His purpose and grace in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus, though, because there is no Savior other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we were chosen in Him before the world began, because all salvation has to run through the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can come unto the Father but by Me, Jesus said. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. It is all by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Benedict XVI. It's not John Paul II. It's not Mary nor Mother Teresa. It's not Mohammed or any other mediator. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and men. And He died on the cross for us, having been, having had an assignment given to Him before the world began of everyone that God had chosen for Him to save. And He said... In John chapter 6, and I've already mentioned it, that He came down from heaven to do that Father's will, and that was not to lose a single one that God had given Him. And He didn't. It is finished. He will stand in heaven and present the entire family of God. Behold, these are His words from Hebrews chapter 2. Behold, 
I and the children which thou hast given me. That's where we leave it, and we're thankful to the God of heaven for it, and it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. We've said enough on that already, or almost enough. You know, in Matthew 25, verse 34, it's Jesus is going to turn to those in His right hand and say, Enter, enter thou into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Prepared for who? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's many other places we could turn that use the same expression. I'll read you one more and we've got to move on. Romans chapter 16, Paul puts it this way about his ministry. Verse 25, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. There is a mystery in the world. There's lots of them. But we're going to have another one in the second assembly, and that's we shall all be changed. When the Lord comes, we're all going to be changed. But Paul said, there is a mystery that has been kept secret since the world began, but is now revealed by my preaching of Jesus Christ. And it's now made manifest, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Paul preached that message that there is a secret, which we're dealing with right now, that God, before the world began, chose in Christ Jesus some to be saved by His work on the cross of Calvary, and that gospel was preached in Paul's day. hadn't been ever preached before. No one had ever heard what Paul preached until Paul started preaching it. Abraham may have had a little smidgen of it. David had a smidgen of it. Isaiah had a view of it. Darkly, from the Old Testament. But the Apostle Paul was preaching something that had been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Who hath saved us and called us, Timothy, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That is what God did for you, Timothy, before the world began. But... Timothy, it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Remember what the word manifest means. Ships have manifests. Trucks have manifests. What's a manifest? It's a list of all that's contained inside that you can't see. It makes something clear that you didn't know before. But it's now made manifest. All that's in verse 9 is now made manifest by the appearing of Jesus Christ. Before that time, for 2,000 years, the Jews were sacrificing animals and shedding animal blood and burning it on altars. It never redeemed a single soul. It just left them sinners year after year. But it's now made manifest. God appointed Jesus in eternity, but He wasn't manifest until 2,000 years ago. Look at first, let me read, you can look or I'll read. First Peter chapter 1 verse 20. It says that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, who verily What does verily mean? Truly. For certain. 1 Peter 1.20 Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus Christ had been assigned in the everlasting covenant to come into this world, be born of a virgin, under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That He would submit Himself to that law and obey every commandment of God and lay down His life willingly as a sacrifice for all of us. Jesus Christ was given that assignment. He was foreordained to it in 1 Peter 1.20, but now has been made manifest. We see it clearly now that He's here. 
The Jews didn't see it clearly. They just kept offering animal sacrifices year after year. Because the law was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Sacrifices that could never put away sins were leading them to one sacrifice that put away sins forever. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Gentiles were ignorant idolaters. The Jews were under the schoolmaster of Moses' law, but then Jesus came into the world. Think about it. They knew knew Genesis 3.15. They knew that there was going to be a male seed of Eve down through women that would destroy the devil by a fatal wound to his head. They knew that. Simeon was an old man in the temple. Jesus is 40 days old. Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. They bring a couple of turtle doves. The offering of a poor a poor man and a poor woman. Timothy's an old man, and the Lord has told... Simeon's an old man. The Lord's told Simeon, Old man, you're not going to die till you see my salvation. Amen. <laughs> and Joseph and Mary walk in with the little baby Jesus, and Simeon takes him up in his hands, and the Holy Spirit tells him, You are holding my salvation. You are holding my salvation. Now, this, this child was foreordained before the world began, and we've covered 4,000 years of world history. Lots of things going on. You know what? We have some words right now, and there's a mystery being revealed to Simeon in that temple that puts every other event of world history in the shade. In the shade. He holds up that little baby, and he says, Lord, now thy servant can depart in peace, for I have seen thy salvation. A mother and her male seed would destroy the devil because he would bruise his head, fatal wound. The devil would cause Jesus a little trouble, heal wound. Praise the Lord. Simeon held the Lord Jesus Christ. He was foreordained before the world began in the everlasting covenant of salvation. We were assigned to him. He was assigned to us. And he came and died for us in the fullness of time. All of a sudden, God's mystery, his secret from the foundation of the world was being revealed. Now, that's what Simeon said. Simeon said a few other things. He looked at Mary and he said, This child is set for the rising and fall of many in Israel. This child is going to bless many, and this child is going to crush many. A sword is going to enter your heart, Mary, because of this son. Because you know what? You've only got two choices about Jesus Christ. Love him and serve him as king or hate him and despise him as a fraud. You've got two choices. What are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Then an old woman was in there as well, wasn't there? Her name was Anna. She walked in and she started blessing God. She was so old. It's hard to even calculate it. She was so old and she spoke to all those that were standing around that were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. You know, they understood the 70 weeks of Daniel. Even if most people don't today, they knew that redemption was about to arrive because Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 had said there are 70 weeks of years to Messiah the Prince. They could count. And so they were looking for redemption and Anna spoke of that baby to all that looked for redemption. 
Redemption has arrived. Messiah is here, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Until the Lord Jesus Christ came, it wasn't visible, it wasn't clear, it was a secret. It was a mystery. But the Lord Jesus Christ made it visibly plain that He was the Savior. I mean, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Who hath abolished death, were to the words I wanted. Most of all, who hath abolished death. Jesus has abolished death. He came into this world and He laid down His life willingly. He allowed death to happen to Him. He chose death. He said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. But He willingly went to the cross. The Bible says He went like a lamb to the slaughter. He, the Bible says He set His face toward Jerusalem. His purpose was to go where He was supposed to die. And He went there willingly. And He did die there. But He's abolished death by what He did. What is death? Death is God gave life. God said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. That's where death came from, because our first two parents ate of that fruit. The devil got them to eat of that fruit because he thought he was thwarting the purpose of God by having them eat the fruit and ruin paradise. All he was doing was giving God his preordained drama of displaying his grace and mercy to us. That's all he was doing. And... uh setting up a great fall for himself when he's going to be cast into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil had us under God's law. The God's law was, you eat of that fruit, thou shalt surely die. The devil was wise enough to know, I'm going to get them under his law. He has to keep his word. I know the God of heaven. He has to keep his word. They're going to have to die. He didn't know the rest of the story though, did he? which we have today. He didn't know the gospel that God had ordained the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us from that trouble. Jesus Christ abolished death by coming and suffering the penalty of God for us. He came and stood in our place so that He died for us so that we shall live forever. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, 8. Over there in 1 Corinthians 15 it says... The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Jesus Christ came and obeyed the law perfectly and put away sin so that there's no more sting in death. What do we call death now? We go to sleep in Jesus. What if you're a disobedient, rebellious child of God and you're messing up things at the Lord's Supper? I mean just turning it into a carnal feast like the Corinthians were. And the Lord has to kill you early. Did He do that in Corinth? Were there, were, there, were there many weak and many sickly and many slept? What's that word that He used about them? Slept. Even when they were disobedient, Jesus Christ had still covered their sins. They got chastened in this life, but do you know where they're going to spend eternity? In heaven with God. It goes on to say that when we are chastened, when we are judged, let me get the right words. In 1 Corinthians 11, I love this. Because when you read that account of the Lord's Supper, it was so terrible. And many were sick and weak and dying. It says, for when we are judged, when we're judged like these brothers that are out in the cemetery, when we're judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. 
even a terrible thing like a child of God being cut off early like an Ananias and Sapphira or those saints at Corinth because they were cut off was showing God's love for them that he wasn't going to let them disrupt his supper anymore. He was going to cut them off early. But still, they weren't going to be condemned with the world. They would live forever with him. I'm not suggesting that we ever act like that or live like that ever. But I'm just saying the blood of Jesus Christ covers us past, present, and future as far as our sins. And when we are chastened like that, it's so that we won't be condemned with the world. He just lets the world go and do their own thing. They're bastards. He ignores them. He doesn't chasten them like he chastens his sons. Back to 1 John 3, 8. Look what it says about Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That little baby that Simeon held and that Anna saw. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the work of the devil was getting us under the claim of God's commandment, if you eat of that tree, thou shalt die. Jesus lived obediently under all of God's law, perfectly for us, so that when He died on the cross, His perfect righteousness was given to us. And all of our sins were washed away by His death. Justification is more than just as if I've never sinned. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I had lived Jesus Christ's perfect life. Amen. It's negative and positive both together. Right. He destroyed the works of the devil. There was no more... You know what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Amen. Because it is God that justifieth is the answer. No one can lay a charge to us. The devil can't lay a charge to us because Jesus, the perfect substitute, died for us and delivered us from the claim of God against us that the devil had got us involved in. A fatal wound. And oh, he he thought again that he had the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But that was our greatest moment. His greatest defeat. Do you know what Jesus calls him dying on the cross in Colossians chapter 2? That he made an open show of the devil triumphing over him in dying on the cross. An open show. Don't we like that kind of a terminology? He made an open show of the devil triumphing over him by dying on the cross. While the devil's gaping on him like a bull of Bashan, Psalm 22, and the dogs, the spiritual dogs that were barking at the Lord Jesus Christ while he died on the cross, he laid down his life, fulfilling the law of God, dying in our place so that we can live forever. He's abolished death. Look at Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. Why did Jesus Christ take on flesh? Why did He have a body of flesh and bone? Why did He stoop past the angels? He didn't. Jesus wasn't made in the form of an angel. He came lower to be made in the form of a man. Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children. Who are the children? The predestinated, chosen, elect children of God. Because look what it says in the previous verse. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. God gave souls to Jesus Christ to save, and He said, I will lose none of them. Verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil can't kill anyone without God's full permission. 
The devil had us, though, under God's law that said we had to die. But Jesus Christ died for us, and He took on flesh and blood to be like us, not to be like angels, because He didn't come to redeem an angel. He came to redeem us. He hath abolished death, because He's delivered us from the claim that death has against us that leads to the second death. These things that we have left, and I've got to hurry. These bodies that we have left are dying every day. You know that, don't you? Have you all figured... You know, you young guys, I know. Coke and cookies, and it turns to muscle and bone. I remember. But you'll turn, you're going to come to daddy. They all do, don't they? We may envy you a little bit, but we know you're going to come to us, and we'll both be playing checkers soon. Because our bodies decay. It's dying right now. But do you know why? We want to get rid of this thing. This doesn't last long, and it's ugly, it stinks, it's decaying, our skin's running, rubbing off. Hair's falling out. You know, you got little skin lesions and skin cancers and just, it's mess because it's got sin in it. So why not get rid of it? And do you know what we get to do? We get to leave it. Paul, you know what Peter said? And I got to hurry. There's so many. Peter said, I have to put off this my tabernacle. But you know what? He was excited about it. I get to put off this my tabernacle. Do you know what this, it's this thing, this house we live in. We get to put it off. You want to get rid of that ugly thing you've got? Then look forward to death. That's why we sang, how sweet to die. Right. How sweet to die. We get to put this in the ground. Do you know what Paul said when we put this in the ground? It dissolves. Ever looked at a dead, ever, ever left a dead fish or something out for a while? You know it dissolves. It dissolves so fast. These things dissolve. When you put a seed of corn, when you drop one kernel of corn in the ground, what does it do? Does it dissolve as well? Does the moisture down there in the ground cause that seed of corn to dissolve? Field corn. Field corn, okay? One seed in the ground dissolves. How tall is the stalk that comes out? A good healthy one. 13 feet. 13 feet. Ever seen one of those? 13 feet. You don't, you don't jam on 13 feet, boys. You know, your basketball rim's only 10. A 13 foot corn stalk, if it has only one ear, that ear has 16 rows of 50 kernels, 800 to 1. It's got that beautiful tassel at the top from that one little seed that got to dissolve in the ground. Now, I say that's a fair trade. Amen. How sweet to die. Do you understand what I'm The Lord has delivered us from all the power of death. All He wants us to do is learn to trust Him. Do you know when you're going to need to trust Him the most? When the time of death comes. It's a matter of your faith. It's a trial of your faith. He... He could glorify us all right now just like that. He wants us to trust Him and believe the promises of His Word that He has completely destroyed the sting of death and the power of the devil over our bodies so that we can just let ourselves die and we can take a journey. And it's going to be a quick one. Chariots don't abide by our speed limits. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Because the Lord's going to send His angels to take our soul and our spirit into paradise of God. And these bodies, put them in the ground, bury it. Hose me down first so that I'll dissolve faster. You know, who cares? The Lord's going to come back and get that body. Jesus Christ died for us body, soul, and spirit. He's going to put all three parts back together. You know, how can it say in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the Lord's going to descend from heaven with our dead brethren, but it also says they're going to rise first? Because He's got two parts and the ground's got one. And He's going to put them back together. Let this thing dissolve. Oh, think about that seed of corn. Jesus said, unless the corn goes in the ground and dies, you can't get life out of it. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15. The thing you put in the ground sure don't look like what comes out. 
He said that. First, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, the resurrection of the body. Jesus hath abolished death. That's why we're in this room. Out there, we came from monkeys. We were able to say as a monkey, I'd like to learn how to read, so I'm going to evolve into a little schoolboy. They think, they said that. They say that. You know, the monkey, he had to evolve from some amoeba, and the amoeba came out of some slime, and the slime came from a big bang of chaotic matter and gas in the universe. They say all that, and yet I ask, and you've heard me say this many times, why haven't we evolved away death? If all these species are evolving away into a higher order, you know, there's one thing we all want to get rid of. Why don't we evolve away death? Because it's the curse of God on us. They don't, even, they don't have any idea of what we're talking about, and that is why we're inside this room. And the gospel has been preached like this for 2,000 years of a mystery that has been kept secret from the foundation of the world that God has a people, and He's going to save them by His Son, Jesus Christ. And that Son came 2,000 years ago. He rose to heaven. He showed that He had the power over death and over the devil by ripping... Don't we love to sing that song, He tore the bars apart? Yeah. They locked Him in that tomb. They put a seal on that from Pilate. And he tore that thing open. The earth shook. and His resurrection was so powerful. The, the graves opened. And dead saints came into Jerusalem. Hey, I'm Moses. That's what the Bible tells us. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to show you the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He hath abolished death. Luke was a medical doctor. Luke wrote Luke. And Luke wrote Acts. In Acts chapter 7, the medical doctor is describing a stoning. And when they had stoned Stephen until there was no more breath in him, and if you little nurses had gone and checked his vital signs, he would have been, in your terminology, dead. But Luke, the medical doctor, wrote, and Stephen saying, Father, lay not this sin to their charge, fell asleep. Praise the God of heaven. A medical doctor said he fell asleep. Yes, yes. Who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Ponce de Leon, where's the fountain of youth? He wastes his life looking for the fountain of youth. You know, Americans... They walk into GNC, ding-a-ling-a-ling, the doorbell rings. They walk in, where's the fountain of youth? Which bottle has the fountain of youth? There is no fountain of youth. Except in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has brought life and immortality. Because this mortal shall put on immortality. Because we shall all be changed. Because of what Jesus Christ is going to do for us. Brother, Jesus hath abolished death. We put our trust in Him. You know, the Eldridges. Jesus hath abolished death. Jesus came and paid our house a visit, little girls, while you were gone. He's taking Daddy home to live with Him forever. Life and immortality to light through the Gospel. The Gospel does not bring life and immortality. The Gospel brings life and immortality to light. Jesus gave us life and immortality legally. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us eternal life vitally. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began and put our names in the book of life, which gives us life eternally. 
The Gospel comes along and tells us how God did it. We lay hold of that. And as we obey its precepts, we come to have greater and greater assurance that that eternal life is ours. Paul tells Timothy, lay hold on eternal life, even though he'd already ordained him, because we want to lay hold on eternal life and increase our confidence of it. Peter would say, give all diligence to make your calling, from our text, calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And there were eight things that he listed. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge patience, patience temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Those eight things. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And so that's why we obey the gospel, is to have that assurance increased until we know that we are God's children. And we're living like God's children. The gospel brings life and immortality to light. The gospel tells us the secret, the mystery that has been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Timothy, if God did everything in verse 9 for you, and if the message that you're carrying is verse 10, don't you be ashamed of the Lord, nor ashamed of me, his prisoner, but you get out there and preach that gospel because you have one wonderful message And that is why we're in here this day, is to celebrate and remember and be convicted and pressed to do something because of what God's done for us. We have an opportunity every minute of our lives to live for Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.